Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we have emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. And on today's show, we have Kit Hughes and Paul Sternberg, CEO and COO and co-founders of Look Listen. And gentlemen, um, tell us a little bit about your business and what it is that you do. Well, we do a lot of magic, I would say. Um, But technically speaking, we are a digital advertising agency. And what that allows us to do is to create and place advertisement for brands, uh, services, and products businesses. And um, we also, where the magic comes in, I think, is when we create that advertising. But we also do um, a lot of software development applications, and um, we try to stick in all things digital. Hmm. Great. Tell us a little bit about what are some of the trends in your industry and area of expertise that you think other CEOs, especially in the middle market, need to know? I think that there's a little bit of a misconception about digital advertising, and it speaks a little bit to the trends at the same time. So digital advertising with um, things like Google AdWords, and that's what people know the most. But then there's also display ads. You have a lot of ways to get your message and your brand out on on different websites. And I think that um, the emerging trend we've seen is there are brands that are trying to sort of take it on themselves. They're trying to find out how they can um, bring some of that in-house and do some of that work um, themselves, build out teams. But then I think as, as these companies are getting into it, they're seeing how complex the technology is actually becoming, being able to hyper-target the people that they're, they're wanting to get their messages out to. And it's not just um, you know essentially buying some keywords anymore and writing some ad copy. There's A/B testing, which is a huge thing that's become you know very very easy to do. Testing a message, one message versus the other, how many people are clicking on it. Then also you have um, um, essentially keyword bidding, and so uh, optimizing that and and essentially saying, well, how can I pay the the least amount or the right amount for a keyword that may be relevant to my business. Um, and then there's geo-targeting and all of these, you know, all these things that, that are like this that we get really excited about, but are highly complicated if you want to use them right and weave them all together. Mm-hmm. So uh, I am a, I'm a strategist. And one of the things that I, I think about when I consider digital marketing and, um, you know, kind of at the executive level is at what level do you think the CEO should get involved? Because to go down to geotargeting and A-B testing and all that, most CEOs of, of businesses of any scale are not going to be involved at that level. And yet having a digital presence that's meaningful and making sure that they're not just throwing money um, at digital marketing, I think is something that a lot of CEOs are, are, are thoughtful about because there, there is this need. You have to have a web presence. Um, many people don't really have a good sense of what the right presence is for their business, given who they're targeting. So can you speak a little bit to that, um, Kit and Paul? Paul, you want to take that one? I think one of the largest places where Kit would, would get involved is, um, you know, being able to create the conditions in which executives can actually um, take that information, take the success up to their own CEOs. Yeah. And when you think about the CEOs themselves, you have to form 
a strong level of trust and partnership with an agency that you would engage. Because the people that report to you, if you have a CMO um, or a VP of marketing, there's going there's going to be a level of um, trust that's already developed internally. But being able to identify an agency that is outside that can be a trusted partner and not treat them like a vendor. Because I'll, I'll, I'll kind of re-underscore the fact that digital advertising brings a tremendous amount of technology and targeting to a business, which brings a lot of complexity. And so the level that a CEO needs to be involved is he needs to hold his, the agency of, that, they, that they work with, as well as um, a CMO, if, again, if, he's, if he has one, he or she has one, um, or a VP of marketing. Hold them accountable to not just speaking in advertising terms like CPC and CPMs, but truly to help translate it for a CEO dashboard view of what does what do these metrics actually mean for the business? Mm-hmm. And so, when you're having these executive level conversations, what are some of the things that um, you know CEOs should be looking at when they're when they're managing or holding your, their digital agency accountable? There's certainly the ROI side of the conversation. How much am I actually putting into this and getting out of it? There's been a shift, too, that that um, some CEOs that haven't done a lot of work in digital, they have this traditional mindset of, well, when I, when I work with my marketing team to set budgets, the budget blend is, needs to be, you know, 85% of the media buy is, is, is what we're spending money on. And then 15% are the agency fees. It doesn't work that way in digital. It worked that way in TV and, and print, but it, doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. It costs more for agencies in the digital space to be able to, to do everything that they need to do to build out these complex campaigns, to target them, to optimize them. And so it's, it's, it's a bit harder there. Uh, but what, what um, uh, the, the CEOs need to understand is there, there is a different sort of class of of agencies that were that um, in, in the digital space, and they need to be sort of treated appropriately. Mm. As you think about your your agency, we've had a number of digital agencies on the show before. What what's what are some of the things that set you apart in terms of maybe some of the um, approaches or methodologies that you use? Well, I would say we're probably cooler and better looking than the ones that you've had on before. <laughs> so I just would would like to throw that out there. But what really makes us different is that we we don't believe that you have to compromise killer kill creative for the advanced analytics side of things. So we're part of a new generation of agencies in which we we do truly respect the fact that the table stakes are killer creative. It just has to look good. It has to sound good. It has to read good. The um, the 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 whole the whole creative package, if you will needs to be uh, wrapped with a bow on it and be loved by all. But the extra piece is the advanced analytics and being able to measure deeply so that as as the results bubble up to a CEO level, there's almost nothing anecdotal that's going to be challenged on the work. It's like, did you think through these things? Did you go in this direction? Did you test this idea? Yes, we, we did. And we can actually model out what those advanced analytics are saying. That's really what makes us, us different. And, and if I was to tell you from much more of a, of a sort of marketing perspective of how we present ourselves as an agency, we, we focus around our own brand promise, which is make ideas matter. A lot of agencies out there are just focused on making ideas and making ideas is 
is boring. This new generation of ad agencies aren't going to um, uh, sort of stand for, for stopping there. We're focused on, on not just making the ideas, but making them matter. And mattering means mattering to the, to the end user, to the consumer, to the people in the client organization, so that we make sure that we are just, we're taking it beyond creating, you know, the, the nice creative ideas, but we're actually weaving in um, how they matter and how we can test it to, to optimize it. Mm-hmm. So what's the coolest thing that you've done since you're so cool? Yeah. <laughs> and so good looking. <laughs> Your words, not mine. Thank you. That's so, so sweet, Paul. Um, so I think that we've got a couple of like of, of really of really cool things, but I think that one of the coolest things that we we've done that speak to that is we created this synthetic attribution model that um we we had we had won an account and become agency of record for for um for a, a dental care provider and um and a and the the previous agency had 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 um, run test campaigns and and maybe no fault of theirs. There's there's plenty of agencies that just say, let's run a test campaign for display ads and uh, see how effective they are. Let's see what the click through rate is on on the display ads. So so um, uh, the results were what you would expect. When's the last time a person's clicked on a display ad and it's not effective? And 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 I think just because of our culture and our curiosity, we said. Let's take a stab at potentially creating a new model by which to measure the efficacy of the display ads. So, and when you said cool, I'm I'm definitely considering all this nerd cool, just so that I'm clear. <laughs> um, uh, but but one, but the coolest thing that I, I really think we did was that we we took this um, we took a, a new model by which we said, let's figure out how we can map in first party data, you know, essentially phone calls on the side of our client back into the ads that were served. And so we were actually able to tell that if you never clicked on an ad, but made a phone call later, that we could attribute your phone call to seeing a display ad, which is which is really cool because that, and we were told by people that we had cracked the code on being able to do that because uh, so many people say, yeah, when did you click on a display ad? When's the last time you've done it? And we can ask ourselves that question, but. If we were to actually model out actions taken by that, we we saw we saw a, a greater than fifteen percent attribution of people that saw these ads, which is which is huge because display can sometimes get 0.01 percent or 0.001 percent uh, conversion according to traditional metrics. So so that's my nerd cool answer. Yeah, and then but. we took it actually to the next level and applied that to pre-roll video. Yeah, all right, which so gets an even worse. Let's hold on a second. So <laughs> synthetic attribution model that's a really you got it big uh (laughs) like complex word um but just to boil it down basically it allows you to tell if if somebody who saw a display ad took an action even if they didn't click on this display ad yeah all the other agencies have had it wrong where they just measure it measure clicking on ads and we we were able to create a model that wove in other types of actions like making a phone call. And that's still a conversion that's taking an action. And so where the synthetic piece comes in is that we wove in the people that clicked on it as well as the people that saw it and used a couple of platforms and custom scripting to say that we showed you an ad and then you took an action on it later. And so in terms of you know, making things matter, as you said, why does that matter? 
Well, if if uh, this company would have dialed back their spend on display, it would have shown an immediate effect, and no one would have known where that effect came from. If if it was showing, I mean, like sixteen, you know, over fifteen percent conversion is a big deal. Like you you, you want to keep money in that channel, mm-hmm. and so when and so this kind of goes back to a little bit of the earlier question too around um, around CEOs, how involved should they be, what should they expect? Um, it really does. Agencies should be held accountable to bringing new ideas and new ways of looking at things. As as an agency, we're not afraid of the dark. And I think that that's what other agencies that have kind of had had, um, their businesses on autopilots, especially the ones that have been traditional agencies that have tried to figure out this whole digital thing. Uh, we're, we're, we're saying that, hey, we're not afraid of the dark. We're not afraid of solving problems and, and we're not going to accept status quo. And what's the ratio? I mean, so even in this case that you're talking about where for display, they thought that it was not maybe not performing because, mm-hmm. you know, point zero 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 one, you know, yeah. people clicked on the um, on the display. But then when you did the synthetic attribution, you were able to see that people who saw the display may have called or done something else yeah. rather than click. What's the, what was the difference? Do you remember? Oh, well, as far as uh, that's what I was mentioning, the, the 15%, right. when we modeled it out, we showed that greater than 15% versus the you know, 0.01% or something that's more of a traditional display, um, it, which is huge when you're starting to get up into double digits of, mm-hmm. of percentage, that, 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 that's sizable. Right. I mean, as you look at the, you know, the, this behavior, people, because I don't like to click on display ads either. Most people don't. How does that, or how are you using that to inform the blend of, of marketing and and tactics that you use? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. I try. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The, the, it's really looking at it from a, um, let's say that in the world of digital, there are many uh, tactics or touch points or channels. You can, mm. I think, use those words interchangeably. Google paid search AdWords, that's one. Display ads is another. LinkedIn ads are another. Facebook ads are another. Uh, directory listings uh, for, for businesses that actually have physical locations, those are others. And so what we try to do, and any other CEO out there should hold their agencies accountable to this is to say, what are the most effective channels? Let's test out one or two and figure out what is actually working. What are the right messages? What's the right ads uh, for those target audiences? And then roll it out to additional channels. So when we get up and running with a client, we may actually be placing digital advertising across, you know, six or seven different types of you know, the tactics or channels that I mentioned before. And even within those, there may be, you know, for display, there may be multiple display networks. There may be ones that are um, uh, targeted towards mobile, others that are targeted towards certain audiences, so on and so forth. Yeah. And, 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 and a good agency is going to say, is not going to say we're a Google AdWords agency because yeah, it's, it's very effective, but you don't want to stop there. I mean, there there shouldn't be any kind of uh, satisfaction on a CEO side for the market share that they that they that they sort of exist at. They should always want more, and advertising brings them that. Hmm. How do you in the the as you're looking thinking through the blend right of uh, and mix of things that that people could do digitally? What's your recommendation for how 
how to set a budget for what to test. Because how it's occurred for me is like, it's a lot of waste of money, right? <laughs> right. And, and, you know, it has to happen. But how do you think about how much money to invest in the testing stage before you settle on something and figure out what's going to really work? I'm going to give you a non-answer and it's not, I'm not avoiding it, but this is why, this is w exactly why someone should engage an agency, like hire smart people to figure it out. It's different for every business. We, we may have, you know, a billion dollar market cap company that we work for that need, that just needs this one specific thing done and leads for their sales organization on this specific product line and the budget might be small. But we also might be working for a company whose revenue is, you know, $5 million and they need to spend a disproportionate amount of their revenue to essentially fill the funnel um, at the very top and then use a lot of techniques to pull people down, down the funnel. But their budget size would be much larger according to the share of revenue. But then also maybe even the nominal, the real number might be even larger than the billion dollar company that said, hey, we need, you know, a thousand or two thousand leads for this specific agencies should should be able to give you that number. We even look at like for e-com clients, we look at even what their sort of seasonality would be because we have that data from them to say that here's here's sales data mapped from January to December. And then if we were to use these different tactics, here's the potential expected lift on it uh, based on the amount of dollars that would be spent. And it's a very I mean, in, in nerd cool world, it's a sexy spreadsheet because it shows, it shows all of the data kind of mapped on a monthly basis and you just play with the numbers. It's like, how much money do you want to get out of your advertising spend? And there's maybe a, a threshold there. So again, it sounds like it's a non-answer, but it's like, it goes again, back to accountability of an agency to be able to say, you know, be smart people that are bringing these ideas to the table and helping figure out what's right for your specific business. Mm -hmm. And then also, I mean, you're probably going to give me the same, it depends answer, but how long, how long should the testing phase take? Yeah, that, that one, I, I um, for, for people that are looking for an organization that's looking for statistical proof. They're saying like, hey, our ads have been served to a statistically viable number of people for us to be able to decide. The, the, the answer is, is much more based on like a volume. For other organizations, and we love working with these companies, they say, if you guys have a strong feeling and opinion after it's been running for six weeks or three months, and, and that may not be statistically, I can take that to my board or it as a CEO, it's, it's enough information that I feel like you guys are giving me the thumbs up to either, you know, ramp up and go in this one direction or throttle back. So, and yeah. is your feeling most of the time you need to go for statistical significance or not? No, it's not. Okay. Yeah. But some people just want to worship at the throne of statistical significance. And, um, um, uh, that, that's also why this kind of like mattering part of the creative is, can be so elastic because sometimes it may not, it may truly n not um, meet some quantitative, and, and I think that a lot of CEOs, like entrepreneurs that evolve, have evolved into CEOs, get this, that your gut drives a ton of decisions. However, you fed your gut with life experiences and information and advice and all that stuff. So your gut is actually very well informed, but it may be disconnected from st uh, statistical significance. And so, I mean, are, have you found that most of the time the gut's right? 
Paul, you can check me on this one, but um, I'd say so. Okay. I'd say so. Right. We're still in business. <laughs> so, yeah, and growing. So yeah. yeah, and speaking of the growing thing, um, how have you grown the company so fast, right? I think that your growth rate's been something like a thousand percent, which yeah. is just like over a oh. thousand over three years. Yeah, we wow. had, we were, we, you know, um, we were, I, I want to kind of come from a place of gratitude here because we, we have worked very hard. We've had amazing clients. We have had amazing people, but the hyper growth that we've had um, and hit the Inc. 500 last year has just been nothing short of just amazing uh, for us to be on that ride. And, um, and we, we have, we've said, cause being interviewed a lot over the past year, once you hit the Inc 500, it's almost like you've gone through this wash of something magical. Like you're, yeah. you're all of a sudden sparkling and and people forget. And in fact, I would say the, the Inc 500, the big, uh, awards gala w- was amazing because it's all these people and you're like, Oh, wow. We made it. Like, you know, I mean, there's yeah. just such an intense when you're dealing, especially with people in, in the, in the 500. So, so, I, I, the best answer that I've been able to arrive at is that when I look at really what was feeding our growth, it wasn't that we were even, that we were advertising ourselves. It was that we had a small set of clients that we just, we just kept winning for, Mm. you know, we, we were part of their team and we, we helped their businesses grow as well. We were able to drive top line growth and Mm -hmm. occasionally bottom line as well, but, but agencies typically influence top line. And so we were able to do that for them and they invested more money in us. They opened up more budget. They pulled. And when we brought them an idea, they said, yeah, you've earned our trust. Cool. Let's, let's try this, this thing out. We know that you guys are going to test it as rigorously as you do the other work. And so we've had a really sort of small group of clients that have continued to invest in us over the years. And now we're at that, what I would call that tipping point because we've gotten so much exposure that we um, have started to get on the radar of of the larger brands um, in in which that we maybe you know when we started and were a uh, you know a three four person company wouldn't have you know given us the time of day or 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 just said when you guys get bigger call us um, a more mature uh, but yeah Paul would you agree with a critical mass of what I just said or no oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> So Paul is a silent partner. If if you haven't, uh, <laughs> no, I, I remember him from the 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 call that we did before. He's not mm-hmm. he's not silent. So as you talk about the the growth of the company and what you guys have done together, I mean, to turn to the second segment, we always talk about the relationship between our guests, and mm-hmm. um, you guys founded the company together. So tell me a little bit about how you've made that work. You know how the hyper growth has affected your relationship, and uh, you know you've gone from what. From a few people to like sixty people, F- almost fifty. Yeah, 50 we're we're people. almost fifty. Yeah, fifty no, people yeah. and um, over over three three four years. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah. So, Paul, Painful. talk to yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about about your relationship and and what you do to make it work. Yeah. So uh, me and kid have known each other since we were kids. How old? Probably thirteen. I think we 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 debate on how long. I remember us knowing of each other younger, but I think we started to become friends at around thirteen. Yeah. Were you in elementary school together? No, or no, no, junior no, high no. or something. We, we lived separate we, schools. Yeah, uh. we we lived. We just we lived in you know um, this area in Kentucky, where you know even if you don't go to the same school, the you know there's not a lot of people that live out in the country, um, so you end up you end up attracting. 
I, I actually, I'll, 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 I'll give you the best example of how, how this, how this works. We were in high school and, uh, by the local mall in Paducah, Kentucky, and, um, somebody's car was having some problems. And, and, and so, and it was a couple of girls. So I went over and said hi <laughs> and was like, do you need any, any help? They looked at me and one of them turned to the other and she said, he looks like he'd be friends with Paul. And I was like, Paul Sternberg. <laughs> And she said, yeah, it's like, he's like one of my best friends. So you, you, in a small country area, you end up finding and there's sort of a magnetic take yeah. for the people that you look like and the music you listen to and everything. So, yeah. Did you keep in touch? How did you end up starting the business together? Yeah, we, uh, I guess we kept in touch all throughout college and, um, it was around September of 2007 when I was coming into, I guess I was going into Nashville. And uh, we decided we'd meet up in Chattanooga and have some beers and talk about life as we, we used to do a lot more of. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the Chattanooga Aquarium, we just started throwing around these ideas about um, what would it be like if we started a business? We should, we should start a company. Yeah. And it just kind of spiraled out of control from there. <laughs> and I understand it was in 2007, which was a really great time to start a business. It was, uh, you know, the best. Our, our company is... <laughs> we, we planned it that way. It's, it's, uh, it's essentially a, the equivalent of a child of the Depression. You know, I think, yeah, starting on, on the eve of the financial crisis uh, certainly taught us some things. Well, every CEO that we've had on the show has said that a the team has been a critical part of their success. And you founded the company together. And one of the things that I'm materially con concerned with and interested in is how come some companies make the people thing work? Because everybody knows it's people, right? It's people, mm. it's people, blah, blah. From your experience, what have you done to make the team and the people side of your business work that you think maybe other companies haven't done or maybe struggle with? This is going to be a little of a weird answer, and I'd be surprised if you got it before, but uh, agencies are very unique animals in that we attract a type of person that may be unemployable in other <laughs> situations <laughs> but because we, we demand um, highly creative people that love it when work just falls out of the sky and you can attack it and you can sort of lock arms. However, it still is a human enterprise, and there can be, and anybody that's watched an episode of, of Mad Men uh, knows that um, in an agency, there's just a lot of crazy things that can happen because you have highly creative people um, all in a space. We've been really lucky to have, you know, a lot of great people and not a lot of drama, uh, but we we do, agencies are as, as um, a, an organizational structure, provide a very safe place for highly creative people. And this is not just visually creative, like the, the development work we do, the coding that we do is a creative enterprise as well. And then we treat the analytics side as creative too. Like I said, the synthetic attribution model, that's about as creative as it gets in, in, in dealing with data. And so we essentially have created an infrastructure at an agency that insanely creative people can take advantage of, and our clients hire us to do that. And I think that we've um, uh, we've had probably industry standard attrition when it comes to people kind of coming and going from from an agency. But the but but being able to continually build that team has been because we we provide a really great environment for people to test ideas, especially people that are just starting their careers. We we've we've put people in front of clients to present to test out ideas. 
and it's it's exposure they wouldn't have gotten any other way. And I and, and we love we love the people that work for us. It, it's and and in fact, I would say that it's not for us; it's with us because because we're there locking arms with them. Hmm. And Paul, how have you like physically brought on fifty people? Because it's one thing to like, you know, most people struggle with hire, one or two good hires, but 50 is is pretty amazing. So how how have you done that? You you would have thought you would have maybe lost a little more weight. Um, yeah, yeah you think so. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, addressing parking is the the first issue. Where are you going to, where are they going to park their cars is one. Uh, where are they going to sit is another. Um, but also it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's a lot about evaluating the people trying to um, hire smart. Hire, hire from your gut too. find out who they are, make a good personal connection with them. Mm-hmm. Paul's done a great job at creating um, a, a questionnaire that maps to our values as a company mm-hmm. to screen people. And um, these are things he probably wouldn't wouldn't say for, for himself. But he, I think he's done a fantastic job of saying like, hey, we want to make sure that we're hiring people that are aligned to our values as, as, a, as a company so that we don't get down the road and people are like, wait, I didn't sign up for this exactly. So, so he created a, a screener, that um, really great questionnaire that there are no r- right or wrong answers for. It's just essentially a temperature check. And he's, and he's been involved very deeply with um, assessing, well, well if, if we were to administer even sort of tests as part of the process, um, he he uh, created a new plat or or uh, we um, he spun up a new platform that allows us to manage the recruitment pipeline and sort of grade and score people along the way. So he's really created this very strong operational efficiency around the recruitment process because as an agency services business we have to scale according to human bodies, and so you have to always be recruiting and and sort of opening your arms to the good people and but figure out which ones do you actually kind of catch if, if you know what I mean. And he, he's created a really good system for that. Hmm. And how has all of this affected your friendship? Are we even friends? Or, <laughs> yeah, <do> we, <laughs> ask me tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, a business has, has goals. Like we have uh, a very specific set of goals we're trying to accomplish. Um, and a friendship doesn't. And, and I think that's, what's different hmm. about, you know, how we've been able to work together. We, um, we've never tried to do things differently than how we always have. It's been very natural where, um, when we were in bands together as kids, he would deliver a couple of song ideas and I'd deliver a record. Yeah. Um, I would deliver the final product for him. Uh, and it's still the same way today. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've never tried to do what he does. He's never tried to do what I do, but we have a, a shared vision and enough shared overlap that I think it works really well. And what are some of those um, values that you put in the questionnaire? Be curious. We're very, um, I think we've always been very curious as, as individuals, um, uh, even as far as kids breaking into old movie theaters to take photos and see Statute what, of limitations, I oh, think, has run out on yeah, that yeah, hope, by this oh point. Man, I hope so. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, always, always seek knowledge. Um, you said one, we're not afraid of the dark. So one of them is solve the unsolvable. We're really good at when we're put into a situation where somebody says this can't be done. Uh, we, we take that challenge head on. Mm. Embrace change. Embrace change. Mm. And as you think about the hiring of the, of the people, how do you go about making sure that those... So you have the questionnaire that kind of has you get a sense of whether or not they, they embrace those values or share those, those core values. But then once they come in, how do you make sure that it, 
that it follows all the way through, right? That it's not just a good idea or that it's something you test for in the beginning of the relationship, but that it has some some life and it kind of flows through the culture of the of your company. Sure, a very practical answer to that is we do quarterly reviews where we uh, we continue to evaluate each employee on how they they live up to the core values. And we just yeah moved to that you know net, Netflix esque quarterly check in model. And before I think we we fought the same sort of fallacy that a lot of companies do is to have just an annual review. And we we give constant feedback, but but the the way we administered it was we essentially said how do you rate yourself against our values. And then how does the manager rate you against the values, lay them on top of each other and to see is there a huge disconnect? And, and um, there would be, you, you almost could go in and predict this. And it was really strong feedback. Um, but now we've essentially moved it to be um, uh, uh, based on, on a quarter, quarterly basis so that we can stay much tighter. And I think a lot of companies have, have woken up to that and, and are starting to, 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 to do that. You mean quarterly versus annual reviews? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You were going to say something? Oh, no, no. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so other than recruiting, what are some of the other challenges that uh, that you have experienced or are experiencing and growing so quickly? Well, one of the things is in this industry, people leave a job after about a year. They, they want to move on to the next big thing for them. Mm. And so how are you, if you have to rehire 50 people every every year, that's kind of tough. How How do you deal with the attrition then? Well, in, the way I usually describe it is if somebody stays past a year, they're probably going to stay about two years. But if they stay about, if they stay past two years, you've got them for a much, much longer time. Uh, and you don't want your senior people to, to be leaving very often, but there is an expected and embraced, you know, churn of those people at a, at a lower level, um, say it's like staff, um, mid-level staff, that is is actually in the agency business is not only accepted but em, embraced because there's that constant sort of flow of energy and creative talent that you kind of want going through. So so you you we just em, we embrace it, um, but I'd say we would have real problems if there was higher turnover at a more senior level. All agencies all agencies would. Paul's also had been really influential on helping us. Uh, craft a culture that these values sort of weave into and helping, I think, keep keep us honest uh, around are, are we living up to these specific values and sort of these decisions that we make that will affect culture. So um, I think I think that's kind of one way, there, you know, and there's there's almost there's almost no single silver bullet answer that is right for the industry, the business and the exact people that are inside it. It's much more of as we, as you continue to grow and evolve and transform as a business, that you always stay aware that you have to create this culture that is is um, attracting people, that is potentially self-selecting the people out of it that that don't belong there, um, and uh, and at the end of the day, um, especially as an agency, that you've had no flinch in your quality of the work that you're doing for the clients. And, um, and that's what takes good agency heads is, is essentially saying that like as much managed turmoil as, as we have, there's still been no sign to anyone on the outside that the quality is, has, had, has had any kind of impact. And, and that's what it kind of takes to be sort of a special at, a, at sort of an agency leadership level. Mm-hmm. 
And as you look at other businesses, why do you think um, other companies struggle with um, hiring, recruitment, team building, um, and just the, the the people side of the business so much? What do you think? I mean, it's hard. It's because it's hard. <laughs> I think people struggle with it because it's it is just it's just difficult. A human enterprise is is hard. I think what we have to do is to mitigate the level at which, you know, is is an acceptable level of 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 how hard something is. Attracting the talent, attracting someone away from a, the devil that they know is difficult. Uh, keeping them inside your organization is is can be difficult um, if if they're constant, especially like you know development talent or highly you know uh, courted talent by recruiters. Uh, we just have to make sure we have a have a sticky culture. I think it, it's like it, it was easier back in sort of a tribal because agencies can be like tribes. I think more so than other companies could be, but in a tribal environment. You had like, okay, we're huddling together for warmth. And if any of us gets this crazy idea to venture away from the huddle, you're going to get cold and maybe die. And hey, I'm leveraging my tribe's resources. So I'm going to get food. I'm going to put into the system. I'm going to get out of it. So that was a lot easier. But when we started to you know, form companies and introduce commerce and, and money into the picture, I think that's when it got hard um, to keep uh, track people and, and, and keep them. Hmm. Sorry to get poetic there. For no, a it's very, yeah. <laughs> very interesting. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so as you think about the future of the business and like what's going to happen moving forward, what are some of the cool things that you're working on now? <laughs> I guess, how do I pick? How do I pick? We, we, we've got, um, I think the t- two main things that come to mind, um, something, something has been part of our past, that synthetic attribution model was was kind of, I think, the cool thing that we did um, over the past couple of years. Um, and we did that for uh, one of the largest dental care providers in the country, and they focus on kids and kids in underserved areas. And so this is, this is the sort of heart part of, of that conversation. The head part of it was, oh, it's this cool synthetic attribution model. But the heart part of it is that because we approach the data and the advertising that way, we were actually able to bring awareness of dental care to kids in underserved areas, um, over 2 million patients a year and growing. And we are really, really excited about that. But over the past year, we've added kind of a couple of other cool things, uh, one in which we um, are working with the second largest electronics manufacturer on building out an Internet of Things, you know, network. And if if you've read any kind of business article or any kind of press that came out of CES, the Internet of Things is is like that's it. And so we've got this huge electronics manufacturer that has hired us and said, okay, as a full service agency, we want for you guys to to build out the platform that's going to interface with all the devices. And then also the app and user experience that people can have because it's a it's an emotional connection that people have to these to these products. Can you hold on a second? Yeah, so yeah. if we think about the Internet of Things for a layperson, that's like your cell phone is hooked to your the heat in your house and the heat in your house is hooked yeah, to like the, the nest to the car uh, yeah. and and to your phone and to your yeah. computer and you can do things on all of those things. How does advertising get into that? Uh, so, <laughs> um, I'm still working on the answer to that because <laughs> it's a, it's a true, like, what's our value proposition there? 
And so advertising um, is all about making emotional connections. And it's not different from product development. The means to the end is different. Like at a, arriving at an emotional connection with a product is, is, is different from a piece of creative that's going to um, incentivize you to take a look in, at a brand or, or a product. And so, so, but we also, in our agency, so Paul and, uh, Paul and I, we, we, our background is design and um, a very disproportionate of it being digital design. And so creating interfaces and user experience is a very important thing. And so the, 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 the reason why um, I think from a full service perspective uh, it, is that, well, one piece of it is that we're coding a framework. The other piece of it is that we're designing a very easy to use interface that people are going to fall in love with, just like they fall in love with great advertising. They may not know that they're in love, but they're in love. And then when you think about how potentially it could tie into the um, experience of marketing the product and advertising that product, because they have to be done differently. Uh, you know, uh, you're have a, you're asking people to have a to buy this physical thing, but then have a relationship with it through their phone through through a different interface. So it's a different message. Um, and because we're that full service agency, we're able to think through the interface design, the framework build out, and and then also how people are kind of looking at and making a choice between those two products on the shelf uh, at the same time. And and just a real basic question is how how is the Internet of Things going like like how are we going to actually use that? Do you know? Well, we are using it now from the perspective of if you have a Nest thermostat, that's maybe the most widely known example. But then also you have these other products that allow you to turn on your lights and control your lights or control your, your alarm systems and, and, and unlocking your door when you're not there. So, so th that's already kind of in use now, home automation and, and all that. But then also when we look at are you using a fitness tracker to track your steps? How does that feed into sort of cloud data? Um, also, is it connected to like a weight scale that will also sort of marry all that data together? And so, so the Internet of Things basically being like um, the fact that we can have a ton of connected products that can speak to each other, speak to the, you know, the cloud, <laughs> as I'm doing in air quotes here, um, but that they're all essentially connected. And I guess my my question for you is, do you have a sense from the work that you're doing of kind of what the expected usage is likely to be? Is it going to be biometrics? Is it going to be, yeah, you know, is it going to be like the home automation? Is it going to be, how is it going to be used in business? Yeah. Computers are everywhere. I think that Paul can agree with that. And, and it is going to be used in industrial applications as far as monitoring power plants and controlling power plants at a distance um, and water. You think about like energy infrastructure, that still is Internet of Things. It may not be, you know, a weight scale that's in your home and used by consumers, but at, as far as the, the actual uh, infrastructure and B2B applications, that's going to be probably even a larger market by, by sort of dollar signs than the consumer market when you think about it because of cost of those systems. But the use is almost anything that you could think of, you will be able to connect together um, your microwave to your fridge, to your stove, to your thermostat, to your smoke detector, to the locks on your doors. And it's a very, very beautiful thing because these things are going to be able to pass information back. And, and if you have an Amazon Echo, like this is a really... 
the future is here with with this device because you can talk to Alexa and you can tell her to um, play a song, but then you can also tell her to order more of this thing you just ran out of. And so that's a pure, and that device is connected to amazon.com. And, and we're at this sort of, the thicket was sort of cleared by Nest for people to accept the fact that, hey, I can control this thing that's a previously boring thing on the wall with my phone. And now something like Alexa has not only sort of followed the path of Nest that they cleared the thicket, but they're like bringing this like huge, you know, um, hay baler or whatever behind them. I'm trying to think of agricultural applications here, but it's essentially a bigger piece of machinery that Amazon is bringing through to say, hey, we can uh, connect in a very friendly and entertaining way, but then also use it as a as a method of commerce and to reorder things. So, I mean, it's a pretty it's pretty cool. Yeah. And what's the underlying business model from your perspective? I mean, obviously with Amazon, it's going to be driving, driving sales yeah. on Amazon and then you pay for you pay for Alexa, right? Is yeah. there a subscription? I don't know. No, no, no. So you just, you buy it. It's a Bluetooth speaker. You can play, they're replacing something that existed already, but really enhancing it with, mm-hmm. with, um, with this, um, anthropomorphized, you know, person's voice yeah. that connects it to Amazon for, and, and are you asking, um, as far as like the business model for like an agency no, playing no, no. in there? Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. you can answer that too. I'll answer. Uh, well, it, it's simple for us. We make fees off of being paid by companies to, um, um, either design products or applications of the internet of, of things. So it, but it's one in which I'm personally passionate about because I believe that technology can truly make life better. And better doesn't just mean through um, health, uh, the health and wellness of people, but it also means, you know, entertainment value and and those kind of things. And we can uh, use, I think, less of our natural resources in a smarter and more efficient way through, through this. So I've got a personal attachment to it, as well as the agency, that this is an area that we get totally, and not a lot of of people are getting it. Um, but as far as the other businesses, it unlocks a new, a couple of new revenue streams because you look at Apple and there's a tremendous amount of revenue that Apple opened up when they looked at essentially monetizing content um, or they created a device that um, they sell songs to people and books to people on. This is you know, the Internet of Things essentially opens up the opportunity, which there are a few, I think, I think a few different ways, depending on the, the industry application. Um, I don't think companies like Nest have totally figured it out yet, but they've essentially got a product in somebody's home at which once they start to figure out how to how to charge um, and get some unlock some more sort of um, subscription based services for people, people can hook into those platforms. Um, I think that that we have not yet figured out how advertising plays into these platforms, but they will. The data that's being provided back out of these platforms is really, really rich when you look at sort of mapping it together and um, and maybe scary to some people, but the data is very rich. And when you look at the advertising play, then there's something there. And we, that's why we're like saying, hey, we're putting a stake in. We're, we're standing next to this IoT thing. Can I make a request? Yeah. I, I know that you're going to be... Do I need to dealing... leave? No, no, no. <laughs> Can you not put the advertising like in places where it shouldn't be? Like I had this experience. I was like, <laughs> the other day where I was like, you know what? I just want my stuff. 
Like, <laughs> don't advertise to me right now. I just want to get to my thing. So, like, yeah. when I'm going to the heater, could you please not put an ad there when I'm trying to turn the heat down? Like, yes. that's a request. I I will promise that our agents, our agency will not will will not do that. You know? Uh, yes. Yeah. Totally. And I think that I go to use the bathroom and there's an ad. It's like yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> I I told I told yeah I get it we will see that's but see that's bad advertising we want to do good advertising which is say what people want and need to hear at the moment that they want and need to hear it and so th- the thing on the data data side of things though is that is that you should not be marketed a Ford truck if it's not right for you you know you should not be marketed to you know this other product if it's not right for you and the more data that is available to the advertisers the more targeted it should be it should not be abused let's be clear about that it should absolutely not be abused but it should be used um the the powers should be used for good which is to say hey don't serve ads when people don't want to see them because that can create a negative effect a sort of a hate feeling for the brand or for that product and so, yeah, let's use it for good. Let's use these powers for good. Would you agree with that, Paul? Yeah. Okay. All right. We're on the same page. Very good. <laughs> so if uh, listeners want to get in touch with you to hear more about anything that we've uh, discussed today, how can they do that? We have a fax number that people can send a fax. After we're just talking about the Internet of Things. <laughs> we have um, a website, believe it or not, looklisten.com. We are on, uh, I'm personally on on the Twitter and the Facebook, but um, we're, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. It's, we're, we're very easy to find, but um, probably the best routes into that is through our own website, looklisten.com. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for being here, gentlemen. Thanks for having Thank us. Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises.